Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. Micah chapter 5. And I think all of you or many of you certainly, for those of you who grew up in church, who attended Sunday school, um have been to one or two Christmas services over the years, you'll be very familiar with Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. It is so obviously about Jesus and you would have heard Matthew and others quoted in the New Testament. Uh, but this morning we're going to take a look at Micah chapter 5 verse 2 in its context uh, in the passage of Micah in order to understand um, the verses around it and give meaning to Micah chapter 5 verse 2 in particular so that we understand how this verse was used in the prophetic writings. Micah chapter 5. Even as we come to the reading of God's word, uh, we now come to a spiritual activity both for me as I preach as I take what I've studied and bring it to bear um, but also for you as you listen our desire is that the holy spirit would move in each one of our hearts and so with that in mind let's bow our heads and pray one more time as we come to the reading and the teaching of God's word Father God in heaven thank you for your word thank you that it is a faithful and true representation of you your will and your way in this world thank you lord god that it is without error and it's sufficient lord for all matters of life and for godliness that upon it we can stake our salvation our eternity because in its pages we see jesus and so this morning even as we have just sung show us christ We pray, Father, would you show us Jesus in this passage, that we would love Him more, that we would follow Him ever closer, and that our lives would be transformed towards His image from one degree of glory to the next. And this we ask in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. our lord and our savior in the power of your holy spirit and to your own praise and glory amen mark chapter 5 we're not going to read the whole chapter we're actually only going to read from verse 1 to the first part of verse 5 they go together quite nicely and so mark chapter 5 beginning at the first verse pay careful attention to god's word now master your troops O daughter of troops siege is laid against you with the rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek but you O Bethlehem Ephrata who are too little among the clans of Judah from you will come for me one who is to be ruler in Israel who's coming forth is from old from ancient days therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who's in labor has given birth then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel and he shall stand and shepherd his flock 
in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God, and they shall dwell securely. For now, his name shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Just so far in the reading of God's word. Friends, I I don't have to tell you because I imagine you feel it. We live in an uncertain world. Uncertainty abounds around us. For any of you who have made it your regular practice, it's the worst practice in the world to watch the RAND. Um, I log on and one of the first things that I do every day is I look where the RAND is. Well, it is up and it is down and it is through the roof and who knows what is happening there. Sometimes our lights are on, but often our lights are off. And yeah, in Pretoria, we even have to worry about water supply. We live in uncertain times. And that uncertainty is probably going to be compounded as we move toward elections next year, between May and August. The reality is political uncertainty in our country is a common place and service delivery protests will probably rise up as we get closer to that date. We live in uncertain times. But for those of us who are here today as our common practice of worshipping this God that we read about in scripture, our firm belief is that we have a certain God. And he has made certain promises to us. And so in an uncertain world, we have certain promises for our good. Things like, I promise to never leave nor forsake you. Promises like, I will be with you always, even to the ends of the age. For those of you who have not yet placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, promises like profess him with your mouth and believe in your heart that the Lord raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. We have certain promises in God's word, but the question that is posed in the text this morning is will he remember? Will he remember his promises to you? When the chips are down and the going is tough, will he remember? And the answer, as we see, is he does. And he does so through his King, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. The passage outlined this morning is fairly simple. It's just three points. We're Baptists, so it seems to always be three points, doesn't it? Three points. The first point is taken from verse one. And we're going to see a humiliated king. The second point is taken from verse two. And we are going to see a promised king. And then our final point will be from verse three to the first part of verse 5, and we will see a peace-bringing shepherd, a humiliated king, a promised ruler, sorry, and a peace-bringing shepherd. Well, let's start off with this humiliated king, this humiliated king in verse 1. Let me tell you what this verse is really saying, even as we come to study it. When Jerusalem is under siege, 
Their judge will be humiliated, says God. Let's read verse 1 again and have it close to mind. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us with a rod. They strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. It begins by saying, now muster your troops. This is a time of chaos. This is a time of uncertainty. This is a time of political upheaval that Micah writes into. And in the midst of all the uncertainty, in the midst of the difficult circumstances, Micah says things are actually going to get worse. Against Judah will come an army. And so prophetically the prophet says you are to raise up your troops. You are to garner your armed forces. You are to meet them in battle. He calls Jerusalem here, O daughter of troops. You might think, oh, okay, Jerusalem's got a, a mighty army, reserved forces, a military that they can call on. But in actual fact, the idea is that Jerusalem has been completely surrounded by a foreign enemy. She's a daughter of troops, but those troops are not her own. They are banging at the door. They desire to enter in. Siege has been laid against her. And at this point, commentators differ in terms of what siege the prophet is talking about. But the most likely siege is the siege by Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon laid siege against Jerusalem in 597 or 598 BC. And at the end of that siege, Jerusalem fell and Judea, all Judea, was taken into exile into Babylon. This story does not have a happy ending. In actual fact, it's not just the city that will fall. It turns out the leader of the city, the judge of all Israel, is humiliated in this final siege act with a rod. That word rod is is with a staff. Think of a, a king and his scepter with a rod of iron. With his own rod, he is humiliated. They will strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. The judge of Israel here is the king. He is the supreme judge of all the nation in much the same way that Cyril Ramaphosa is the supreme leader of South Africa. So too, the supreme leader of Judah will be humiliated on his cheek. We might see direct fulfillment of this at the end of Jerusalem as Jerusalem falls to Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. The king at that stage, Zedekiah, um, he was forced to what, in fact, Liesl and I were reading this just uh, last week or the week before as we were reading through scripture. Um, The king of Israel, Zedekiah, was forced to watch his own children, all of them being killed. And thereafter, he was struck. His eyes were plucked out and he was taken into exile. This doesn't have 
a happy ending. This king was truly humiliated and so were the people that he serves. Friends, the Lord, Micah says, will sovereignly allow Jerusalem to fall. His people will experience grave suffering and the city's leadership will face humiliation openly. But the Lord tells his people all these things in advance so that the remnant, those who are left, might trust him even when circumstances turn against him. The Lord is in control always. Trust him. As our second point, that was our first, a humiliated king. Our second point kind of shifts gear as things become far more hopeful in our text. A promised ruler. A promised ruler. Let me tell you what this is saying even before we get to it. It's just verse 2. A ruler with ancient lineage will be born in Bethlehem. A ruler with ancient lineage will be born in Bethlehem. Let's read the text so that we have it close to mind. It says, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you will come forth for me one who is to be ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Just so far. It says, but you. And the question that we're asking ourselves is, everything has gone against Jerusalem. (laughs) They have fallen. Their leader has been chastised. They have been taken into exile. Has God forgotten about them? Will he remember? But you. He does. Oh, Bethlehem. Uh, The word Bethlehem, obviously it's a a little town of, of Bethlehem. The word Bethlehem means house of bread. It was a place where a lot of agriculture happened. Bethlehem exists in a district called Ephrathah. Ephrathah itself means fruitful, uh, harvest. It was the birthplace of the King David of old. And yet God addresses his people, a remnant, a small group who remain. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little... Uh, The word too little isn't talking about quantity, although I must be honest, I've been to Bethlehem. Um, You walk off the Temple Mount and you go through a little door in the corner and before you know it, you're in Bethlehem. It is a tiny little place. Uh, But this word isn't talking about the tininess of the place like we sing in the Christmas carol, O little town of Bethlehem. It's not a word of quantity, it's a word of quality. Bethlehem was insignificant. In fact, the most significant thing about it was its insignificance. But to you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little, too insignificant to be amongst the clans of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, 
by this stage, Israel had divided into two kingdoms. A northern kingdom, which was made up of ten tribes, which had been taken away in about 720, roughly, uh, BC into captivity into Assyria, and a a southern tribe. And that southern tribe was made up of just two tribes, uh, Bethlehem, um, Benjamin, sorry, and Judah. And those two tribes were all that remained of God's people when Nebuchadnezzar came and laid siege to the city. Now, out of all of Judah, often referred to as a synonymous with all the southern kingdom, out of all of the cities and the towns and the villages, Bethlehem qualitatively was insignificant, significantly insignificant. But to you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, from you shall come forth for me. Uh, that word me, if you've got a pen and you write in your Bible, you might want to just put a circle around the word me. All the rest of this prophecy is written by the prophet under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But when we get to Micah chapter 5 verse 2, we have God himself speaking. God is speaking here. Bethlehem, I haven't forgotten about you. And out of you shall come for me, my own, my intent, first person. This ruler who comes will first come for the Lord, the God. One who is to be ruler in Israel. That word ruler is is the same as, as king. It's the idea of Messiah. And it has been spoken about throughout the Old Testament. When you get to Genesis chapter 49 that we happen to read today, you read a prophecy to Judah. And that prophecy says that the scepter will not depart from Judah. Yet God says that this ruler will come from Bethlehem. And that makes sense because as you go through the Old Testament and you get to 2 Samuel chapter 7, you have Nathan the prophet speaking to David and he makes promises to David. He says, David... From your line, from your lineage, will come one whose throne will be without end, eternal and everlasting. And so now, in Micah chapter 5 verse 2, God says, I remember you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, and out of you will come for me one who will be ruler. The promise to David will be fulfilled. The promise to Judah will be fulfilled. The promise to humanity will be fulfilled because God remembers his promises. And then he describes something unexpected about this future king. He says, firstly, who's coming forth, whose origins. This is an origin story. Uh, This is getting back to the grassroots of who this hero, who this champion will be. Their origins, their coming forth, their lineage or their activities, their lineage is like their genealogy. Where they come from is from of old. This casts our minds back to 2 Samuel chapter 7. This casts our minds back to Genesis chapter 49. This reminds us that that this Messiah will come from the lineage of David. He will be a son of David, but will come from the lineage of Abraham. He will be a son of Abraham. And then the unexpected. Because it turns out 
that this ruler who comes will also be a son of God. And by son, I mean of the same essence as David and as Abraham, and now of the same essence as God, because it says at the end of verse two, who's coming forth is from old, that connects him with time, from ancient of days. When you hear that word ancient of days, you think of God, uh, the Hebrew word olam, um, el olam, God, the ancient one, the everlasting one. This ruler, this king will have attributes of the divine. He is connected to divinity. So how could God forget? His plan was always to send this one. Friends, the Lord's sovereign plan sometimes, and in this case certainly, unfolds unexpectedly. His king, in this case, emerges from Bethlehem, an insignificant town except for the promises made to David. In an extraordinary twist, this king has divine attributes of God. The Lord is faithful to his promises. Believe in him. I said three points. We've had two. So this is the third. The first point was a humiliated king. The second point was a promised ruler. Now the third point is a peace-bringing shepherd. And it's from verse 3 to the first part of verse 5. A peace-bringing shepherd. Let me tell you what these two and a little bit verses are saying before I read them to you. They're saying that this ruler will shepherd Israel and bring peace in the world. This ruler will shepherd Israel and bring peace in the world. We pick it up at verse 3. Let's read it so that we've got it close to mind. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell securely, for now he shall be great, and he shall be their peace. Well, what does this mean? Therefore, this is a, an explanation based on what has come before, based on the humiliation of this king, based on this promised leader who will emerge, something will happen. Therefore, he, the he here is the Lord God, this is God the Father, shall give them, and the them here is those clans of Judah up. They'll be sent into exile. Things will go pear-shaped for them. They will be occupied. They will be a nation under rule. But that won't last forever. Because God has a plan. It will be up until that time. And the time will be when she... Now, don't fall into a, a pitfall here. This isn't talking about Mary. The, the she here is Jerusalem, Israel, that it's been speaking about before, who is in labor, uh, that's a picture. This, this is 
This is a, a, a metaphor. She who is in labor, who is suffering, has given birth, has, has found relief from her suffering. There will come a time when Jerusalem is relieved of her suffering. You ask, when will that be? And the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> but I read it in scripture and so I believe it, that God will bring peace to his people. It says, and the rest of his, that's that ruler, the, his brothers shall return. There, there will be a reunification of Israel to the people of Israel, one nation reunited under one ruler. Well, for some of you, you know who that ruler is. And for some of you, you know you have not seen that yet. But let me describe to you what his reign and his rule will look like. It says in verse 4, and he shall stand, he shall assume the kingship. This will be a theocracy under God with a king at the head of its government. And he shall shepherd his flock. Uh, that's significant language. The idea of shepherding in Scripture is always one of care, that rulers shepherd the sheep with care. But beyond that, this idea of shepherding, again, is picture language which is used of God in the Old Testament. This will be a divine act of God taking care of his people. Not only that, but there's omnipotence, another attribute of God on display. It says, in the strength of the Lord. This ruler will have divine strength. This ruler will exercise a divine shepherding. This ruler will stand in a divine office. And in majesty, in splendor, and in glory, he will reign and rule. And in the name of the Lord. Uh, that word name is everything that is associated with the authority of a person. This person will rule in the authority of God. Kind of think of John in the book of Revelation, where no one can be found to open the scroll, the title deed to the universe. And he looks to the left and he looks to the right and he looks to all humanity and no one can be found to open the scroll and he begins to weep. And he begins to cry because it is clear that man cannot do this. No matter how good, no matter how righteous, no matter how excellent a man might be, every human leader falls short. Who can be found to reign and rule like this? Will God remember us? Will he place into this kingship a king who can take care of his people. A king who is upright and can reign and rule forever. Well, God does, and he promises that he will, because the verse ends by saying, and they shall dwell in security, for now he shall be great. This is the idea of universal acceptance of this king, this ruler. Every knee bowing before him, every tongue confessing before him that he is king of kings and lord of lords and he shall be their peace, a time of universal peace. Literally it says, and this one 
will be peace. He will be the peace bringer. He is the peace bearer. This one is the prince of peace. Who can be found that matches this bull? Friends, what the prophet says is that Jerusalem's suffering will end. And her king will unite the scattered tribes of Israel and he will lead his people in the strength and authority of the Lord and he will embody peace and bring profound and lasting tranquility throughout the world. He has the promise, the Lord will bring peace. He has the application, hope in him. Well, that's what the text says. How do you apply this text in your life today, tomorrow, Christmas Day, and then into the week that comes? Well, firstly, believer, let me tell you, and I'm hoping that it's clear from this text, Micah chapter 5, from verse 1 to verse 5a, is about Jesus, the King. The kingship of Jesus Christ is to impact your life practically. King Jesus has authority over every aspect of your life. And so you must submit to his lordship. You must obey his teachings. You must align your values with his kingship principles. Also, King Jesus is intimately involved with your life. We read that throughout all the rest of scriptures. So you can find comfort and security that your benevolent king is with you even when circumstances like what happened to the clans of Judah happen in your life. He is an ever-present help in your times of need. Lastly, you can take assurance from his presence. Jesus as king gives us hope of an eternal peace and fulfillment. Our king will soon return and he will usher in an everlasting kingdom. Our hope must be set on him. Not everybody that's here today has Jesus Christ as the king of their lives. And I'd ask you for but a moment to examine your life and consider, is Jesus your king? Examine your life and consider the kind of relationship that subjects have to kings. They obey kings. They honor kings. In some ways, they worship kings. They ascribe praise, they ascribe glory, and they ascribe majesty. This king is of infinite worth. He demands your obedience. And so look at your life. Are you obedient? Is Jesus your king? Does your life demonstrate and testify to you that Jesus is your king? Do you trust this man, Jesus, who is God? Does your trust in him testify to you that he is your king? Friends, Jesus is king and he is shepherd. And he says in his word that the good shepherd lays down his life 
for the sheep. This king came into the world and was born of Bethlehem. That's Micah chapter 5 verse 2. But that's not where his story ends. Once a year on Christmas Day or on the Sunday on Christmas Eve. That's not where his story ends. No, this king lived a perfect life that you could not live. And this king humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. But hell had no hold over him. Satan could not keep him. Jesus rose from the grave. He took up his own life. And this king has ascended into glory and is seated at the right hand of the Father on high. He is coronated. He is king of kings and lord of lords. And the time is soon coming that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is king of kings and lord of lords because this king is coming again soon. And on that day, he comes to gather those who are in his kingdom now and to usher them into eternal glory where they will worship him forever and ever. But for those who are not in his kingdom, who stand in opposition to them by the rebellion of their hearts, he will cast away from himself without ever any hope of reconciliation. Friend, the time is now. Don't leave Bethlehem this Christmas and go back into the world without, like those wise men, bowing your knee and bending your neck and worshipping the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we do live in an uncertain world and yet you have made promises throughout your word. Promises that relate to this child who would be born. This child who would be born King. Jesus Christ, the King of kings you have remembered us would you grant us faith that we would remember you and eternally be of uh, eternally bow our knee and bend our neck and come under the kingship of Jesus Christ who is Lord and Saviour Amen Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.